Hello everyone, it is Tuesday afternoon, it is still June 30th, it's amazing how it hasn't ended yet, but um, I want to share with you Hebrews 4.1, Hebrews 4.1 says that therefore, let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left to us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. That's Hebrews 4.1. Are you at rest in Christ? Or are you like Martha? Doing, doing, doing to please the Lord. And you're not like Mary. Sitting at rest at his feet just sitting at his feet listening to the words of life the source of life flowing through him unto her I had assumed the thought on God's rest was finished however our Lord has so graciously quickened it anew in our spirit and build upon that which was laid I will then walk as he permits a little space further in it therefore we haven't already entered that rest the rest which other oracles of God have been resounding what else is there to do but to enter therein I see nothing at this moment nothing I see people brothers and sisters going to and fro struggling fighting to be able to do things for God when in reality God has already finished everything and it is found in Christ for that matter, the time has been at hand since the example of belief and unbelief were both laid in the wilderness by Israel many centuries ago. Joshua and Caleb, along with the younger generation, believed and entered that which had been promised. Are you in the promised land? Are you at rest? Or are you like the Spies that says, no, we can't go in. We still got to do. We still got to work. We still got to build. We still got to make a bigger building. We still got to make uh, people come so we can have 500,000 members. Really? Wow. Those 20 years, uh, 20 years old and upward refused to believe and would not venture onward. That was with Joshua and Caleb. Their fearful example was to die with unbelief and without entering God's rest. Although the battles had already been won, they just couldn't believe it. Are you still in unbelief? Are you still in unbelief that you are a righteous son of God? Are you still in unbelief that you are holy, that you are sanctified, that you are redeemed? Are you still in unbelief 
of knowing who you are in Christ and still live in that mistaken identity of trying to do to please God in everything that you're trying to do? God is already pleased with you. And if you're doing the wrong thing, well, you just live in a mistaken identity. You just haven't learned. Nobody has taught you. Well, I'm here. I'm going to teach you to let go of that mistaken identity and identify with Christ. So as in the story of Josh and Caleb, although the battles already won, they just couldn't believe it. And such has continued to this day with not so much as an eyebrow of concern. Some, of course, believe they have entered God's rest because they attend church on a Saturday or Sunday and rest the remainder of the day or Sunday if they seem that time element as the right one. There is certainly nothing wrong with resting for 24 hours out of the week for the mind and body requires it. And attending meetings for fellowship and to hear a good word either of those days is fine as long as the reality to which the shadow speaks is not forsaken. We know people who swing with the pendulum to the other side. You see, they refuse to go to any meetings whatsoever, believing they are all of the spirit of Babylon, old order, legalistic, full of dead works, etc. With such a regulated stand, however, they have come they have come just as much under the legalistic bondage of not doing as those who do. The fact is, spiritual bondage has nothing to do with where one's physical body is. That which determines bondage is where their spirit resides. And it is the same with being in God's rest. They can be just as much in that rest while sitting on a cold pew as in a warm recliner that is if their allegiance is to Jesus the Christ and his kingdom. And they should not be criticized for where their body for where their body located. For example, if an ambassador of the United States is sent to China, he is not criticized for going there. He is commended for doing what he has sent to do. And although he will abide by by the laws of that kingdom while there, he is not bound by them. If he doesn't abide by them, he is not guilty, for he has diplomatic immunity. And likewise with the ambassadors who are truly sent into various churches. But let me say, if you have not been sent, you are not an ambassador, and you will be bound by Babylon's laws, and you will worship her idols if you remain for any length of time. Daniel and his three companions were prisoners in Babylon, but they were free. Most all the Christians today are in Babylon, not because they are ambassadors, but because God has them there due to not letting their land rest. Some are free, others are not, depending on where their spirit resides. Others are there by choice, which is a mystery in itself. This causes me to think that their spirits might be at home there as well. A few of those with ties to the spirit of Babylon may become very unsettled by the mere mention of the Sabbath. That is, if it is not in the, in the legalistic sense. And I will have to say, praise God. For at once iron-clad heavens are sown into carnal ceremonies, rituals, and the like, they need to be shaken. 
And if they choose to argue their point, they will have to argue alone for no one benefits from heated debates. I will discuss it with them, but I will not argue or spend tolling hours writing 95 theses to defend what I see. That's why they excommunicate me from the churches that I have gone and preached because they don't see what I see. And if my words that flow through the spirit, the life-giving spirit in me, it flows and it's, and it's contrary to what they're teaching or their doctrine or their denomination or whatever it may be, they excommunicate me. Because what I teach is for people to awaken to the true identity in Christ, who they are in Christ. And they are one with Father God, the Christ in them, Holy Spirit, as themselves. Paul wrote about divisions such as this, saying, For while one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? 1 Corinthians 3, 4. When people, when you hear pastors and and all these leaders fight. No, no, no. It's like this. Oh, no, my church is better. Or no, uh, my word is strong. Oh, don't listen to them because they don't have the spirit. Of, you know, their words are not true and this, this and that. Aren't they just using their carnal mind instead of the Christ mind? Well, we could paraphrase beginning, paraphrase beginning with verse 2. I have fed you with milk and not with meat for hitherto ye were not able to bear it and neither are ye yet able when meat has been given you cry as children for milk I formerly fed you therefore you are yet carnal children yet there is among you envy and stripes and divisions due to what you will hear and what you won't this clearly shows that you are carnal you walk as children not as the sons of God for while one says, I have entered God's eternal rest, which is his finished works from the foundation of the world, and another says, I hold to the Sabbath day that I can see on the calendar, are ye not carnal? 1 Corinthians 3, 2-4. Let me tell you one thing. Many people celebrate the Sabbath. There's a lot of denominations uh, that celebrate the Sabbath on a Saturday. If you are, I hope you're keeping the other 630 laws. Because if you fail in just one, you failed in all. Instead of you just resting in the grace of Christ, in the grace of God, in Christ, through you, through every single person in this world. Certainly, we are very carnal if we enter such bantering. Regardless of which is the truth, arguing about doctrinal issues will divide people and it is carnal, pure and simple. When I steer away from the natural and right of spiritual matters, some might assume I am against the law of God. To the contrary, my friend, I find no fault in the law, in the law, none whatsoever. It has been a part of our journey, and God's law will be with us always. It will be fulfilled forever in our lives. In the legalistic sense, however, we must know it is not the end of our journey. It was never intended to be our final goal. 
There is much more to the law than being blessed if we march to its commanding cry and damned if we don't. The spirit of the law that exposes sin and works death is not for the elect of God. This may sound disagreeable to some, but please note, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers. Manslayers. 1 Timothy 1.9 Legalism that binds is not suitable garments for the sons of God. Even so, we must not lose sight that the law is holy and the commandment is holy. Romans 7.12 And the scriptures are good for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. Did you see that? In righteousness. That's found in 2 Timothy 3 verse 16. They also testify of Christ our Lord and are almost always the tools used by the Spirit to enlighten souls, but they are not Christ. John 5 verse 39. Life is not found in them, not in the letter alone, and they are not our salvation. What is our salvation? Christ in you, the hope of glory. It is Christ in you. It is the life-giving spirit of the second Adam. There was Christ who resurrected into all men on earth. For example, as I wrote once before, the Boy Scout manual may tell me the boys how to build a fire. And we may hear them bragging about how they can start a fire by rubbing two sticks together. But until they get the fire going, they will not feel its warmth. The book and all its worthy information cannot replace the reality. It is the same with the Bible. I encourage you to learn from it, memorize and quote the scriptures, for this is good. But never let them take the place of the one whom they speak, and likewise with a day of the week. Go to church, rest the entire day, meditate, pray, reflect upon the goodness of the Lord, and be glad in it. But don't let a temporal day replace the one to which it speaks. The Sabbath day is Christ in you. The seventh day is Christ in you. The fullness of God is Christ in you. The fullness of deity is Christ in you. The quickened spirit is the Christ in you. The raised spirit is the Christ in you. The seated spirit is the Christ in you. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is the same spirit that rests in you. Attempting to fulfill the law of a day by subjecting oneself to its letter it's, is an impossibility. It can't be done. Acting the part of a law-abiding saint does not make a person godly. Godliness is never the result of outward performances. Godliness comes when God's holy law is resident within. The godliness of the law will then shine like the sun in a dark world. It behooves us then to know the spiritual side of the law rather than the letter of it. If we don't, we will never possess Christ's authority, nor will we come forth in His glory. 
If anyone wishes to keep the law as Jesus did, it would be wise for them to take note of how he was able to perform his marvelous feat. It was something that had never been done before, but he did it. He was the first to ablaze the seemingly impossible trail for others to follow, and we should understand Jesus did not fulfill the law by being taught it from any man. He said, I do nothing of myself, but as my Father has taught me, I speak these things. John 8 verse 28 He knew the scriptures and the law very well, but he did not memorize every jot and till of them and then set his mind like flint to do what they said. Not at all. He did not fulfill any part of them out of a sheer willpower nor religious devotion as so many churches do today. I feel I feel saddened for them because they are stuck. That's why they die. They get sick and die needlessly because they have not discerned the Lord's body. In every single one of them. In every single of each other. And that's why the word says that they eat and drink damnations to themselves. If you cannot see Christ in the one that murdered a man. Then you, you partake of the bread and wine. You just took it the wrong way if you cannot see Christ in your brother if you cannot see Christ in you if you cannot see Christ in your father who betrayed you or told you things or or left you when you were young if you cannot see Christ in those people that have hurt you if you cannot see Christ in them then you're eating damnation to yourself when you partake of the bread and wine because you have not discerned the Lord's body and now is it God's fault for for what he is or what that man was become or has become or your brother has become or what they did to you is it their fault no it's not their fault it's their parents fault their parents their parents their grandparents their parents their parents their parents, their parents fault because they did not taught. And if they're Christians and they're still in the same routine over a year after year, year after year, and still, still in the same rituals and teachings over and over again of everything, they have not learned. Jesus did not possess a key of super knowledge that unlocked the mystical door to immortality, and neither was his success due to him being gifted with a supernatural age called the Holy Ghost. Indeed, it was the Spirit that the law was fulfilled, but not just because it was a gift or a tool in his hands to use as a miracle working lever. It went much deeper than that. He was born with the law in the heart and center of his being, and the Ark of the Covenant. His every heartbeat was a law. Everything he did was therefore in the nature, in the name, the nature and authority of his father, John 10, 25. He was in union with the law because he was in union with his father. Jesus and his father were one in all things. 
that's found in John 17, 11, and 21. Due to this union, they knew each other as only a father and son can. And having been born of the same seed, we are called to this union, wherein we are likewise fulfilling the law. Brothers and sisters, don't try to fulfill the laws in the Old Testament. Don't try, don't try to do this, don't try to do that. Christ has already done it for you. All you do is rest. Rest like Mary did on His feet. And listen to His life-given spirit words flowing out through you, from within you. The kingdom of God is within you. Let me now submit to you a paradox. Although Jesus fulfilled the law, he also broke it. This happened when he shook corn on the Sabbath and when he healed on the Sabbath. He could do this, of course, because he was Lord of the Sabbath. Matthew 12, verse 8. Even as you and I are Lord of it. <clears throat> Some people speak ill of devout Catholics who do penance by abstaining from certain foods, drinks, and activities during Lent. Yet they think nothing of doing the same by dogmatically keeping the Sabbath. They literally place themselves into its stocks every week for all to see, fearing they will offend God if they don't. They are obedient to the outward, but refuse to enter the inward, the finished work wherein they could find true rest. Wow. True rest is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It is Christ in you. That's it. However, with their un unclear vision, can we find fault? Not at all. For it is God who fashions every heart, causes the blind, and makes men to see. From the place of his habitation, he looketh upon all the inhabitants of the earth. He fashioneth their hearts like... He fashioneth their heart to... Uh, like, like what? No, he fashioned their hearts all alike, not like. But he considereth all works. He considers all works. Okay, he considers all works. That's uh, found in Psalms 33, 14 and 15. Yet the Lord hath not given you an heart to perceive, and eyes to see, and ears to hear. Unto this day, Deuteronomy 29, 4. And the Lord said unto him, Who hath made man's mouth, or who maketh the dumb, or deaf, or the seen, or the blind? Hath not I the Lord? Exodus 4, 11. Although we know better than to condemn the blind for not seeing, fault is sometimes with us by those whose vision is marred. It has been said to us that to break the Sabbath is to become guilty of breaking the other commandments, such as, such as thou shalt have no other God before thee, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, etc. In their stand they cite what James wrote, for, who, for, whom, for whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point he is guilty of all. James 2.10 are you trying to keep the law? I hope not. Rest in Christ. He kept all of it. That spirit, life-giving spirit that's within you, that is your law. That is the law to keep. Just rest in it.
Frankly, it is not my toiling religious goal to keep the whole law, for man has attempted to do so for thousands of years, and they all have failed. So why do I be so presumptuous as to think I could do better? It is in me, however, as it should likewise be in you to fulfill the law by the Spirit by which I was born. Moreover, if we refuse to enter the works done from the foundation of the world, the rest of God, then we are not fulfilling the law. If you do not enter into His rest, you are not fulfilling the law of God. Period. We can go to church every time the doors open and still be far removed from God's rest. That which causes us to offend the law in that point would be in refusing to believe that the works are finished and thereby fail to enter them. And if we teach others to do the same, we will be called the least of the kingdom of God, as Jesus warned in Matthew 5.19. Can you imagine how many pastors will be called the least in the kingdom of God? I'm sent for them. I'm sorry. I pray that they will open their eyes, open their ears and their heart and their mind to realize that they are doing just that. If Jesus was so concerned about keeping the letter of the law out of the sense of a religious duty, I doubt that he would have broken it. And I can assure you that he was never guilty of the others when it was broken, such as adultery, murder, covetousness, covetousness, or any other act that would be in violation of the other commitments. However, we want to strain at gnats. We could say that Jesus broke the seventh commitment as well. Thou shalt not steal, for you see, he, it could be that he did not get permission from the farmer whose corn they were eating. Oh my! When the law becomes our heart walk, all kinds of things begin to crop up in our path. And what about some of the first com commands that were given to man? Did Jesus break them? Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Genesis 2.24 To cleave to a wife, one must first have a wife, and Jesus never married. At least, not in the natural. His bride was in his many, and is his many-membered body the church. Man also was also commanded to be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth, Genesis one twenty eight. And again, without a wife, he could not do so. And of course, he never did. Are you getting the point? Hopefully, it can be seen that there are certain positive commands of God that when fulfilled in the Spirit, they are not necessarily seen or required in the natural. The wife of Jesus, by which he would be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth, was his mystical body of saints. Therefore, once the spiritual reality is known, the need for the physical fades. The saints, the apostles that walked with Jesus, that was his wife, that was the church, that was his wife. You and I are his wife. We are his body, as he is the head. Don't get me wrong. Laying too many heads. Not unless it's a monster. And God is not a monster. That's why there's only one head. And I could tell the Vatican right in their faces. They are not 
They are not there because Jesus put them there. They are not the head of the church. Jesus the Christ is the head of the church and we are his body. And if they, they are pretending to be the head of the body, then they are mistakenly wrong. And that's why the Vatican doesn't want you to learn the truth. Because they want you right where you are. It is believed by more than a few that the commandments Jesus referred to and the ones spoken of in the book of Revelation were the Ten Commandments. Such as, ye love me, keep my commandments. John 14, verse 15. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I keep my Father's commandments and abide in his love. John 15, verse 10. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. John 14, verse 21. Do you suppose that by religiously keeping the Ten Commandments the best to one's ability is a true test of whether he loves Jesus or not? I don't think so. The Pharisees uh, kept them fairly well, but they surely didn't love Jesus. The commandments he was referring to were all those things he taught to his disciples. There were those things which would establish a new order, namely the kingdom of God. It was living it was a life-giving word that would establish a living kingdom. And this kingdom would destroy the legalistic one of death. The commandments in Revelation speak the same. They are God's living words or life-giving words rather than dead letters. If there's any remote way that it is referring to the Ten Commandments, you can be sure they are fulfilled and kept by living them. When this new and living way becomes a reality, you can also be sure there will be some opposition and will be directly from the infamous dragon. That spirit of religion that gives the beast his power, his seat, and his authority will contend with you. For true religion is the only thing that is a threat to the dragon's kingdom. The dragon's kingdom is the carnal mind. And that's the one I'm advising you. The Vatican is keeping you in the dragon's kingdom by listening the religious dogmas through seminaries, through colleges, through all these pastors, through all these churches that have uh, supposedly have pastors that have graduated from all kinds of seminaries. Well, the Vatican owns them all. And the Vatican teaches them. And the dragon was war, was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God. And have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Revelation 12, verse 17. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. You see, the dragon went to war with her seed who kept the commandments of God, even who have the testimony of Jesus Christ. And there are they who keep the commandments of God, even the faith of Jesus. By using even rather than end, we see that the commandments of God are more akin to the testimony of Jesus Christ and his faith than the Ten Commandments. To be truthful, the dragon has no problems whatsoever with religious people following the letter of the law. And that's what a lot of churches are doing. They're following the letter of the law. For that matter, he delights in such practices, for there is no godly power in them at all.
and he remains enthroned in the heavens. It is when God's words are being lived that he gets a little concerned. We will draw our attention once again to Revelation 14 verse 12. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they who keep the commandments of God, namely the faith of Jesus. You see the commandments are the same as the faith of Jesus. This is the only way anyone can be justified. It is by his faith. Hebrews 2 verse 4 and not our own. Sorry. You can say I have faith. Sorry it's not your faith. It's the faith of Jesus. The faith of Christ in you. That's what I'm saying. If you rest in him. You and him are one. You and him are in a coverture law. If you know what coverture is, the man represents the woman in everything that they do. If they say in a coverture law, they say that uh, the wife gets a ticket. The man would go to court and say, I am here representing my wife. My wife and I are one. She is me and I am my wife. That is exactly who you are in Christ. This is a command by which we will live and not be guilty of offending any point of the law. One final verse where God's commandments are used. Blessed are they that do his commandments. That they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. Revelation 22 verse 14. In doing the commandments the Pharisees did as good a job as was humanly impossible but I can tell you plainly they have no authority at all when it came to the tree of life and they did not enter through the gates of the city it was the exact opposite for without our dogs and sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers and idolaters and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie Revelations 22 verse 14 there is also another point to note according to more than two dozen uh of the 27 Bible translations I have in my library, they render the verse altogether different. Rather than the ones who do his commandments having authority and entering the city unanimously, the other Bibles have it as those who wash their robes. And likewise, with the three or four of my Greek New Testaments, they have it as those who wash their robes, except for the Vatican manuscript number 1209. This one alone uses the word in tow. Which, a, which can be translated commandment. And see what I'm telling you? Be careful. Test every word. Test every spirit. It is therefore fairly conclusive that doing commandments is not the issue, but rather the washing of robes. However, let us use it as does the King James Version and see that it washes well. Doing his commandments does not suggest it is speaking of observing the ten primary laws of the Old Testament. The word doing or to do has no hidden meaning, for it is translated from the Greek word poio, which according to the strong simply means to make or do, and is used in a very wide application. However, when we see how Jesus often used the word, it begins to carry more weight. He said, I can of my own self do nothing. That's John 5.3.0. So you think Jesus did everything? No. It was his life-giving spirit 
that was in him. That was Father God in him. Therefore, how do you suppose he was able to keep or do the law? Clearly, it was not of himself that he did it. He had help. He had his father with whom he was one. Everything he did was by a higher law than the law of the sweat of do's and don'ts. It was the law of life, and it kept him free from the law of sin and death. And that is in Romans 8, verse 2. Wow. In another place, John wrote of him, saying, But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, as these may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. John 3, verse 21. The doing has nothing to do with a person being told what the truth is, and when he and then he attempts to accomplish it by the will and determination of himself. It is far from far from such religious gymnastics. When people do truth, they do them in the light of Christ. In turn, they are manifested in the form of godly deeds, and those deeds testify that they were wrought in and by God. Of themselves they can do nothing. Of themselves they cannot do the commandments of God. Not even one of them. Not even the keeping of the Sabbath. Of themselves they cannot do the truth. For only in Christ our Lord is truth found. There's no other way. Of themselves they cannot come to the light. Light and truth are conjoined. You can't have one without the other. If either, if either is missing, so will be the other. I like the way... Uh, Daglot translates the verse, all the uppercase letters were by the translators for the emphasis to reflect the voice in the Greek. But he who does the truth comes to the light so that his works may be manifested, that they have been done in God. Let me now ask, do we do the commandments of God? Do we do the commandments of God? If we are doing anything which is called God, and if it is done by the sweat of our faces, if it is done by the power of our might, if we are doing it due to our religious persuasions, or to the do to do to do tree, or or you gotta do this in order for you to be used, or you gotta do this in order to be blessed, or you gotta do this in order for for um, the heavens open up, or things like that. No. Okay. If they are done in ourselves and not in God, the answer is no. If we are not hearing His word, we are not doing His works. And neither are we doing the commandments of God. It matters not how devout we feel about it or how sincere we are in doing this and that. And those things are not wrought in God. We are not doing His commandments. If we ever expect to do any of the commandments of the law, it will only be done in Christ and not by the will and power of the flesh. Romans 10.4 says, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believes. And that's where we come. Are you still in unbelief or do you believe you are righteous? It is good to rest the mind and body one full day a week for the natural Sabbath was given to man so his mind and body could repair but let us not make that long shadow our tenant of faith and therewith bind ourselves the elect are called to be free and as Christ is the Lord of the Sabbath or those who abide in him rather than it being Lord of them let us therefore fear lest the promise being left us of entering into his rest any of you should seem to come short of it Hebrew verse 1 if Saturday was the rest being referred to in this verse, do you suppose it would 
have been difficult to get the Christian Hebrews to whom this letter was written to go to church on Saturday? And do you, we believe for a minute that it would have been said to them, Let us therefore fear, lest you come short of it? There's no way we could assume such, for Saturday was a day by custom that the Hebrews had gone to church all their lives. They knew nothing else. There was no other day for them to consider, but the writer of the Hebrews saw firsthand that they had not entered the true rest, of which the Sabbath was a shadow of. If it was anything like it is today, he was probably missed, he probably witnessing uh, the same things we see, namely that they are trying to finish in the flesh that was started in the Spirit. And we could say with Paul, all oh, foolish Galatians, all foolish Americans, all foolish Christians, who hath bewitched you that ye should not obey the truth before those before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you. This only would I learn of you. Receive ye the spirit of the works of the law, or by the hearing of faith. Are ye so foolish, having begun in the spirit, are ye now made perfect by the flesh? Wow. See, Paul knew that by the resurrection, he was a spirit man, a life-giving spirit. Did he say that? Having begun in the spirit. Are ye now made perfect by the flesh, having begun in the Spirit? After Christ's resurrection, all man became a spirit. Brethren of a truth, there is a great need to change that which we perceive as truth. There must be a shift in our thinking from carnal to spiritual, from religious to reality, from death to life. In so doing, we can thunder from the heavens of our spirits, we which have believed do enter into rest, namely the works that were finished from the foundation of the world. Hebrews 4 verse 3 For in one place it speaks about the seventh day as follows, And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this place it says, They shall not enter my rest. Hebrews 4, 4 through 5 Not to belabor the point, but this sounds as if the rest is mere day of the week. Not by any means, and to make this more sure, we note the next couple of verses, since therefore it remains for some to enter in, and those who formerly had good news preached to them failed to enter because of disobedience. He again fixes a certain day, today, saying through David, after so long a time, just as has been said before, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. If you hear... And you do not harden your hearts, you will enter at that instant. For if Joshua had given them rest, he would not have spoken of another day after that. There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. For he that is entered into his rest, he also has ceased from his own works, as God did from his. Let us labor therefore to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief see it's all unbelief Hebrews 4 9 through 11 in closing we will borrow from our previous study and I guess I'll I haven't done this one with you all rest in the finished works I'll see if I can find it in my notes and I'll, I'll do the study with you all to labor in order 
to enter into God's rest is an oxymoron to say the least. It sounds as if we can't help from breaking into a sweat, especially since sweat is a byproduct of labor and is and rest is the exact opposite. However, with the proper definition of the word labor, we can quickly see that is what is actually being said. Therefore, it is imperative to use speed when it comes to entering that sabbatical rest, that which is a heaven's bliss to those therein. Great merit is gained when their hearts are eager to cease from their own labors and leave the toil of religious works into his peaceful rest. And how joyful it is when they are prompt to believe and embrace that which is finished. There's something we have missed far too long. The fact that all God's works are finished. It's done. In Jesus, it was done. There's nothing left for him to do. From the earth's perspective, there is impossible to believe or grasp. But from heaven's ramparts, it becomes increasingly clear that it indeed is. And our first part of entering into God's finished work is simply to believe in him who was sent. Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. That's in John 6, verse 29. Hopefully those heavenly gates will be opened today for us to peer more intently upon those marvelous works that he worked on for six days and then rested. One of those individual works was, no doubt, the man who was born blind that Jesus healed. Jesus answered, Neither has this man Neither has this man sinned, nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. John verse 3. John 9 verse 3. The man was healed before he ever heard those wonderful words. Go wash in the pool of Siloam. They streamed like a river from the heavens of Jesus and all things were created. Colossians 1 verse 16. Prior to that day, the healing could not be seen, for such grace had not reigned upon his, upon his earth to bring it forth. But when Jesus showed contempt for blindness by smearing muddy spit in his eyes, and the man washed, he then saw. The book of Genesis is a recorded history in seed form of what God did in his six days of work, and part of that work is you and me in particular. Not only that, every good work we do has already been done. It was finished before we breathed our first breath in the earth's air. When we sing a song by the inspiration of the Spirit, preach a life-giving word, write an anointing message, each one of those precious words were finished before ever a word or deed were uttered or seen. They were trumpeted by us long ago when the morning stars sang in the songs of God. The sons of God shouted for joy. If our songs, sermons, lessons, witnessing, testifying, and other services are by the Spirit, then they are those things which were already said and sung. They were finished from the foundation of the world. They are from, up, from above and not from beneath. When they are changed with His life, every particle is a portion of the finished work coming into manifestation. They are those things which have been waiting in the wings of the ages, waiting for the time and season to be made known in the earth. Such are the good works we receive from heaven, else they would not be available to us at all. If we believe what is written, we will quickly know that it is impossible to receive anything of God unless it is from His eternal day of rest. John said that man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. John 3 verse 27 You see, it is not 
It is not in our natural makeup to suddenly decide to do God's good works, and should we try? We can't expect Him to sanction them. Our works and corner efforts will not be endorsed in heaven. Even so, it is not uncommon to see people take to themselves a ministry not realizing if it is if it has been already made in the heavens for them, there will be no need for them to take it. For at the proper time they can receive it when it is given to them. Religious works which find their roots in the earth would not have God's hand a blessing upon them. Only in Christ does he recognize anything as being his own, for it is in him, in his Son, wherein all works were done. We can glean from the wise ages of the past and present and apply that what we learn to our daily lives. But the upper echelons of men's minds are still not the good works that God finished from the foundation of the world. If it is not already in heaven, it will never be on earth with his mark upon it. So, let us therefore fear, lest the promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. My brothers and sisters, just rest in Christ. Don't be a Martha. Be a Mary. Sitting at his right hand. Listening to his life-giving spirit words. Flowing through your innermost spirit. Which is the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. Abides in you. And that is your father. Our heavenly creator. Awaken to that. You are righteous. You are holy. You are sanctified. You have been redeemed. You have been quickened. You have been raised. And you have been seated. Stop believing. The religious dogma. That will only make you. Fall in unbelief. And a mistaken identity. Identify with Christ. And watch what will happen to your life. And your body. I thank you Father for your word. That flows through your inner spirit. Found in me. Which is Christ. And you. As one. And so be it.